Have you ever wondered what drives an individual to want to become a doctor or a medical provider? Join us in this episode of The One in Five as Dr. Orrin Hansen tells a very encouraging story about a rural upbringing, some lack of direction during the beginning of his college years that led to a very clear vision for the future, and the impact some mentors had in guiding him into practicing primary care medicine. Hey all, welcome to the one in five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Renshaw, and in today's show, we have Dr. Oren Hansen. And in honor of National Health Center Week in August, he will be telling the story of how he came to work for a community health center. Welcome, Dr. Hansen, Dr. Oren Hansen. Man, so good to have you here in the studio finally. I remember, I think, gosh, it's been two or three years we ran into each other in one of our facilities and we had talked about potentially having you come on the podcast at some point and it's finally happening like two or three years later, huh? Two or three years? <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's good. Yeah, I mean... It's sometimes stuff just takes a while, right? Hey, it didn't feel like any time at all. And here we are. Awesome. Awesome. Good. Well, hey, man, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us where you grew up. Tell us what your childhood was like. And then give us a brief uh, explanation of what, what do you do now, man? First of all, awesome to be here with you. I, I think I've been waiting eagerly those last two or three years. And, <laughs> and yeah, while I joke about it going, you know, very fast, which it did. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, painstaking and agonizing <laughs> waiting for the opportunity to have an awesome conversation <laughs> with you. But as all of our conversations go to, you know, with me and you, Adam, you're so easy to talk to. And so you're a perfect person for this job. I appreciate you. Same, man. Um, Same inquiring about my story and why I'm here because um, it's a big important reason to me. I hope it's important for everyone else um, in, in the community. And um, so basically a little bit about me. Um, I feel very much at home because I'm also a Southeastern Montana guy. Okay. Grew up in a little, well, I didn't even grow up in a town. I grew up 30 miles um, from a, the little town of Ekalaka, Montana. My family were cattle ranchers and farmers um, out in the country. And, and so then we would ride a bus about 45 minutes to head into town and go to school. Every oh, day. my goodness. And basically what that afforded me was, was a lifestyle um, living in a rural community where people took care of each other. Mm. Neighbor, neighborly values were, were, were some of the highest currency you could have yep um people worked as a unit towards a common goal in many cases and where that wasn't possible you were able to have conversations with people um that you knew to try to come to a resolution and so operate operate living and operating in a small town community is always what i've known it's always where i felt most you know comfortable and so it really only makes sense that i end up back in a place like this especially sure. after taking the last decade to live in all sorts of places where i wasn't quite as comfortable but at the same time 
learned invaluable lessons that I'll never that that I'll actually bring back and, sure. and 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 try to you know if they've made my life better I'll try to use them to make other people's lives better and the things that made it worse I'll let them be where they were. Amen. Yeah. Um. Hey, real quick, just tell us like what are some of those places like where have you lived in the past ten sure, years? Sure. Sure. I mean, it, it was a gradual es- escalation of 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 um being further from home. And larger and larger cities, but basically, I started college in in the Black Hills of South Dakota in Spearfish, which ten thousand people compared Beautiful to three hundred people seemed big. Um, but yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience, and it was close to home. Um, I did medical school out. <laughs> that's a complicated kind of answer because the Montana's medical program is associated with University of Washington. So there's a lot of traveling, but I did spend significant amount of time in Seattle and that was probably one of the most intimidating moves I'd made up to that point um ended up loving it gave me the kind of courage to continue to try to I don't know pursue what I thought was best for myself my education regardless of where that might have taken me geographically sure so then the next step was um Hey, Southern California, baby. Same, uh, you're familiar with that, oh, uh, yeah, with that territory. Yeah. Hey, man. Was that like a shock? Right here. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Was that sort of a shock for you? Or did Seattle sort of help pave the way for that? Seattle was a shock. Okay. Yep. okay. Seattle was the shock. And then yep. it was like. And then it was a little bit easier. In fact, while I was 60 miles from LA, I was still 60 miles from LA. And the town that I was in was smaller than Seattle. So I kind of got to regress a little bit in that regard, like in, a to- in, in terms of a population density experience. But, but at the same time, it still advanced kind of my cultural knowledge um, sure. and geographical awareness and all these different experiences that you get by just living somewhere else and being around people that are different from, from you. Totally. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I started and briefly where I was at. And, and, and then just in the last two weeks, I finally got moved here full time. But over the last two years, I've been coming up here about 10 days each month doing a little full spectrum family medicine for the clinic and the hospital, commuting back and forth to where we were living in Salt Lake City, doing another interesting form of healthcare called telehealth oh yes really cool yes. stuff people need to know more and more about it especially out here um but that's a process so um, as far as living arrangements you sort of come full circle full circle and i just before we move on i just want to you told me this really fun fact about Ekalaka, this really rural town that you grew up in and that was the human to cow ratio can you tell our listeners what that was I hope it's impressive enough because there are a lot of cows here, but there are a few more humans. But we had 50 cows for every human where I lived. <laughs> to every one human. And not that every one human had 50 or more cows, but uh, there are just a lot of cows. Sure. And I loved it. I loved taking care of other creatures, ones that t- talk and ones that don't. But I will admit the conversation often became... Pretty one-sided. Pretty one-sided. I was going to say, that's a good social upbringing. That's a good way to sort of, yeah, just um, uh, 
really get your social skills nailed down to a T. So. Right. Yeah. All these, all these, you know, um, you know, social cues you really pick up from cattle. <laughs> Pol- my manners. You have to yeah. have good manners. Good manners around, around cows. cows. Happy right. cows. Don't chew with your mouth cheese. open. <laughs> but so it's interesting because you are a really social person, uh, Dr. Hansen, and um, you love being around people. And so that's actually not, maybe the best place for you. What happened as you were growing up and realizing, hey, what do I want to do? Was college always in the future for you? Had anyone in your family ever gone to college? Was this sort of like a laid out path for you or what happened next? College was was kind of always a plan, I think, from the get-go, but it's not something that I necessarily was was behind the whole time. And the reason being is I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, And I think the lack of exposure to other careers when you live in a place that's predominantly agriculture. Sure. um, It just makes it so you really don't know what you should or can even pursue. And not a lot of exposure to medicine in that type of. uh, Okay. uh, Precisely. Well, medicine in particular, but you name any other career. I mean, sure. Podcast hosts, sure. Um, you know, radio. We didn't radio DJs. Um, you know, shop and store owners. We didn't have a lot of these things, and so basically, you you look around and see what the adults around you are doing, and that's what most people would choose as their profession, and that's what they knew. That's what they're comfortable doing. Um, but you knew you wanted to do something different. I want to do something a little bit different. Yeah, I. And I was probably a little bit promoted this direction by my family um, because I hadn't had any family who had graduated with a college degree, neither my, neither my folks. And then there were really no men in my family had ever gone on to college and graduated since my great grandfather had immigrated in the early 20th century. Wow. Um, So I think that there wasn't really going to be a choice about whether I went to college because my parents did value that um, as being something important. That's cool. That's encouraging. It's cool and it's encouraging. But at the same time, I've given counter advice to people because I've also saw a lot of people go to college for four years and never figure out what they wanted to do and spend all the money. And then, and, and, and I don't know if that's always the, you know, following what everyone else kind of does is always the best choice. Although what it did for me is it opened my mind to, you know, just life beyond, you know, rural, small town America. Not that I necessarily needed that, especially to make the choices that have led me back. Yeah. But it's definitely changed who I am. It's changed my perspective on the world. And looking back now, I think that was all for the better. Totally. Um, totally. And it didn't, my experience growing up in a small town didn't, it only made me want to come back, fortunately for me, but it's not the case for everyone. Sure. You know, for a lot of folks, they have a they have a bad experience for all sorts of reasons. And rural areas are riddled with poverty and hardship, as you know. And and so some people are just very excited to go back and or to leave and never come back. Sure. Like the whole familiarity breeds contempt type of a thing. Sure. And you just know everybody sure. and then you sort of get sick right. of everybody. Potentially. I mean, that's a one potential. That's one potential road. outcome, but it wasn't. <clears throat> My experience, like I mentioned earlier, Good. what I experienced was was um, 
you know, kind of a, a camaraderie, a teamwork that allowed people in a community to work together to achieve things that would be greater than their individual efforts. And so just going back to the question about my social <laughs> my social skills and interests, it, it basically, I think anyone can become an expert at whatever they're interested in as long as they have the time and passion, you know, passion to pursue it. Sure. And I can remember being from my earliest memories, hearing that company was coming to visit us out on the ranch or something and just having the realization that we were going to have someone that I didn't see every other day. One of the five people didn't see every other day come out and visit. And I remember that being an energizing idea for me. And I still get energized with the idea of being around people. That's cool. So you went to college then, you decided to go, but you were sort of rudderless. You didn't know what, what you were going to do. You were like, okay, we're going to give this a shot and then we're going to try to narrow in. What happened when you got to college? Did you, was there certain things you realized that you were better at than others? And so you decided to focus on those things or how did that all come, come to about? So thankfully most liberal arts colleges, like the one I went to, um, offer a wide variety of educational opportunities. So it's a good choice as opposed to like maybe a trade school or a tech school where a lot of that education be very focused from the get-go. I had so many options that I could potentially pursue. And one of those that I, th I would encourage a lot of folks, even folks around here to do is pursue something called general studies. Okay. The first year you're having to take math classes and English classes and art classes and all sorts of, you know, a wide variety of history that, that are going to count towards core credits or similar to what you took in high school. And what I guess I started to realize is that without any particular motivation and direction, I wasn't trying all that hard. And I was pursuing things that were more interesting to me, like I said you become an expert at whatever you're interested in. Sure. And so that was the social opportunities that living in a town now in a college town offered. And I made so many friends and so many connections and, and took classes that were interesting. And I learned about classes that I found to be extremely dull and wanted to avoid. My priority wasn't my academics and it reflected in my grades, my first two years. But what it did show is that some of the classes I've probably put in an equal amount of effort towards some and, and some of them, especially my science classes, seem to come a little easier to me. And so basically at the end of my first, well, partway through my first year of college, I thought, let's do something with science and let's do something with people. Sure. That seems like a good fit. So um, obviously like a research scientist was out of the question where you were going to be stuck in a lab. Uh, huddled over microscopes and computers and data, right? That was not in the cards because that didn't have people. It had the science, but not the people. Right. Okay. Right. right. And it's, I, I like that stuff too. Sure. Um, but if you can get a little bit better, why not pursue it? Okay. And I think that's the, that's the case with just about everything. And I think we should always be questioning even how could I make this cup of tea just a little bit better? Even that's so good. Thanks for is it no problem. Your, you want a little sugar, a little cream. You want to go British style mm. on this tea here no. today? Okay. What, 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 what was it? Hint of mint. Hint Ki of a kiss of mint kiss. is perfect for me. It's a gentle kiss. 
<laughs> I like my kisses gentle, he had said earlier. Hey, yeah. Well, there's enough aggressive people in the world. Yeah, it's like uh, finding the zone of genius, right? The zone, um, uh, I was doing some, some research on this whole, like, how do we sort of maximize our potential and, and our ability? And, and it's really finding that area where you you do what you love to do and what you're good at doing. And that's that genius zone that you can really start to thrive when you're in that territory. I mean, obviously we have to. I've never to, heard that. Oh, really? Genius zone. Zone of genius. There's like but five zones. It. Yeah. And, and I think that re, re, when you put it that way, it's a great way of describing that anyone can access that zone. For sure. And it's nothing special about me. And that's one thing that I want people to take away from this podcast because that's another interest of mine. Is insp- <laughs> that's what you have to do as a family doctor, really. You have to inspire people to try to be the best version of themselves. And if you can do that effectively, your outcomes are always going to be better. Agreed. Whether it's, whether it, you know, whether it, because you, you boost your credibility um, because you genuinely show that you want someone to succeed. And they can tell people are so smart. And they're also smart enough to lock in to that genius zone. But a lot of folks are just like what I w- was describing growing up, especially folks in rural areas. Their window and view on the world is can be just by no fault of their own. Mine was this way, but it's narrow because it's just what you've been exposed to. It doesn't have anything necessarily to do with open-mindedness, although that can play a factor sure. in, in your in how narrow your view might be. But my my view was narrow, not because I didn't have an open mind. It was just because that's all I knew. Experience, right? That's all I'd yeah. experienced. So, yeah, it seemed like a combination of working with people and, and, and science would have been a good fit. I was trying to be introspective because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I just want to be happy because I want everyone else to be happy too. And kind of one of those practice what you preach types of things. If you can <laughs> get to the point where you're treating yourself well, then you all of a sudden have that credibility to share that, you know, that information with people who could benefit from it. But going back a step, the first thing that came to mind and it, and it, it just had to do with what I was exposed to at the time. And I had just kind of helped out with a football camp and there was a, uh, there was a person there who told me their profession. They were an outsider, came to Equalaka, had a job that you wouldn't get in Equalaka, and that particular job was pharmaceutical sales. And I thought, perfect. That's I can science and that's people. I can, I, can, I, can, I can brush up on the science of the things that I'm going to be selling so I can try to articulate what I'm doing. And I can go and be around folks and who talk back, but maybe not talk <laughs> back the right way. I guess cows are pretty accommodating, even that's if right. they can't uh, speak. And, and it seemed like a good fit. So I, I started doing things like business, com- business communication classes. I, and, I, and, then I, and then I fully committed to a, like a, a, a biology degree and a, and a, and a minor in chemistry and a, a double minor in chemistry and business communications. However, about halfway through my second, halfway through college, second year, I, I reconnected with this individual and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing this route. What advice can you give me to take the next steps? And basically what I remember from that conversation was my advice to you is don't pursue this career because mm. there's going to be things that you don't like about it. And although I don't remember all the specific instances, 
what I took away was kind of the realization that there might be times where I'm being forced to sell people something I don't believe in. Sure, sure. And to me, that's just lying, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, that just wasn't compatible with any values that I was raised with um, or raised around the people, you know, who, who I grew up around. So it was that particular person had also given me a couple books to read uh, that motivated me kind of and gave me kind of some confidence. And since I was already pursuing the medical route, there was another part of the story, which now that I got to my advanced science classes, I was starting to talk to people as well as I do. And who were going <laughs> into that field. And into they were the going into, the prof- into these different fields. Ah, okay. They were saying, I'm going to be a dentist or I'm going to be a physical therapist or I'm going to be a doctor. Gotcha. And what I started to realize was something that I'd not realized before, which was that these were normal, ordinary folks like me. And they seemed reasonable in their decision to pursue those kinds of careers. But they did not have any kind of, I could, well, I was not picking up on a superhuman type of, you know, knowledge or other superpowers. They didn't get exposed to any radioactive materials <laughs> that gave them a mutation that allowed them radioactive to be spider. super at organic <laughs> chemistry and sure. biochemistry and physics and all the things that I end up having to take. So, I basically said, well, if, if they can at least try to pursue it, then I can, should be allowed to try to pursue that as well. And I found that I was able to keep up. And it wasn't because I had done anything particular before, but like I told you before, I was interested. Yeah. And you had a good work ethic, I mean. Well, I had a pretty good work ethic, but at the same time, it wasn't so good that I wanted to be a rancher or a farmer because I don't want to work that hard. Sure, that's that's interesting no, that you I say work, that because I, I just it, about work that hard now. It but is that hard? Right, right. Uh, ranching is not. I mean, it's not piece of cake work that you just oh, some you know clock work. in. It's the hardest work I've ever done. Nine a.m. and and you're done by five. No, those are full day seasonal job. You know, I mean, it's just it's tough work. So you sort of had that instilled in you from growing up in rural. So you had this work ethic, and you figured out that hey, uh, I want to do this. I like this, um, and if I work hard, I can do this. Yeah, is and, that sort and, of? And once I started working hard, I started to realize that I can because your grades start coming back, and they're what you want to see. Um, and it ended up working out for me. So, so then you decided medicine, and then you. I mean, because that's not like a a really narrow track, is it? I mean, you say, I want to be a doctor, and then you have a thousand choices after that. I could be a brain surgeon. Um, I could go into specialty medicine. I could. I didn't know any of that. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought doctors were doctors. He was just a doctor. This is I a didn't. doctor, <laughs> and this is a doctor. That's not, I mean, that's not entirely true. I had seen really one doctor in my life, and that was a bone doctor. I had an orthopedic injury in high school, and so I had to have a surgery. But really, that was about the first doctor I'd seen since I was born. And, yeah, I, I, I kind of was clueless to the idea that there were all these different specialists, which is kind of funny to look at look back at now because you're right. There are so many different types of doctors. And once you make the decision to become a doctor, you have to make that determination. Right, what am I going to do? So what I'm getting at is... Something brought you to deciding that you wanted to be a primary care doctor. Tell us just a little bit about that and how that came about. 
First thing I wanted to be was a surgeon. Okay. Because when you don't know a whole lot about medicine and you've watched all sorts of cool medical TV shows like ER, ER and Scrubs. Grey's Anatomy. Oh, there's endless material for TV shows like that. Yep. But they kind of inspire people who don't otherwise know to do something that that that's as excite as exciting as what you see on TV. So, I had worked with some surgeons and who recommended some books reading about surgeons and 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 also worked as an EMT um, as in, in in college to get some experience. And okay. what I realized is that wow, surgeons they're dealing with r- some real problems. You cannot really fake appendicitis or or you know gallbladder disease or or a, a motor vehicle accident where you break you know you're breaking bones and that type of mm. thing and so they were always just dealing with real problems and it seemed like it had good gratification but i realized a couple things the first and foremost was that there's not a lot of surgeons working in rural areas and that's where i wanted to live and work so that's a bit limiting we want to be a surgeon you might want to come to terms with the idea that you want to live in a city okay um so just that realization alone pretty much took it off the table because um, my my desire to live in a small town is was just was strong enough. But then the second thing is, is I did my surgery rotation and I realized you have to take a lot of call when you're a surgeon and and those surgical emergencies are not things that can be waited on most cases. You get the call and you're like, hold on a second. You know, I'm, I'm feeding my child right now. I'm having dinner with my family. That's, you but, just I have can't. To, but now I have to come in. Right. And, okay. I, and, you know, as a rural family doctor, you might have some more support that allows you to spend a little more time with your family. But ultimately, I saw that this, the surgeons were the quality of life that they had. Well, I won't even say the quality of life because I think that's everyone's own kind of perspective. And it's very subjective sure but it wasn't what i saw for myself i saw my family as ranchers who were on call 24 7 and if a storm came through and you had to go out in the elements to pull calves out of the creek you were doing that and if and if you know the weather was going to get hot you were going to have to stay up all night bailing the hay before it got Mm. too dry the next day or you know all sorts of things where you had to act now and it's really that's kind of a stressful way to live, to sure. be honest. And, well, we could get into the effects, negative effects of stress on your overall health and well-being, but I probably didn't know all that stuff at the time. Sure. And so bottom line is, is I got to see that it didn't really afford kind of the balance that I would ultimately want. And so that was kind of the, the final straw where I said, nah, surgery is not for me. Um, I can still do some pretty cool stuff that are even kind of related to surgery as a family doctor and especially because there's no surgeons out where these sort of minor procedures. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Even some major procedures in the, okay. in the hospital setting for people who are sicker. Cool. So that filled my cup just fine. And basically those two things came together to make me very interested in family medicine. And the last thing is that the school that I went to had a rural training program Um that really tried to put put students on a track to come back and work as like rural doctors in these towns. And it doesn't necessarily mean they'd be family doctors. Sometimes 
sometimes general surgeons, sometimes pediatricians or internal medicine doctors. But I thought family medicine, especially where there's not a lot of other doctors, kind of provided the most services um, for that particular specialty. And, and this was through UW, right? Yep. What was the rural track called? It's called the Trust, Trust Program. That's what I thought. Trust right. me, I'm a doctor. And it was through Whammy. The Targeted right? Rural Underserved Track is what it stands for. That's right. Targeted Rural Underserved yep. And we track. still have Trust students coming here now. Correct. We have one right now in the clinic. And... Um, so this awesome. is really interesting because you started the you started down this this rural track and that's how you got introduced to that's how you came to Hardin Montana correct bingo bingo and met well I met some I met several very important people including yourself don't count <laughs> yourself out of here but I didn't meet you the first time actually <laughs> I wasn't working here I or and I got here right after you must have left and finished that. Sure. One little piece and sure. then moved on in your education. But I kept hearing about Oren Hansen. <laughs> and so I was just fascinated. I wanted to meet you. And then finally, at one point, you came back and I got to meet you. And that was good news. And Dr. Mark had really been the one who had told me quite a bit about you. And I'm just a question asker. You know what I'm saying? So when I first started working, I mean, I was just probably annoying the snot out of people. Uh, Dr. Mark being one of them, luckily he's really gracious and he has sort of a teacher's heart mm -hmm. and he's really mm -hmm. open to um, all kinds of questions and he doesn't view them as threats, you know, and is really open to just offering information. So, right. so you met, uh, you met Dr. Mark was one of them, but uh, was there anybody else that you met that sort of uh, helped you uh, decide, Hey, I think this is something that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, when, well, when you come back to a small town and you come back to a small town, even like Hardin, you, I think that even the public's perception is that what doctors are working in Hardin and what doctors are being forced to work in Hardin, surely you, no one would ever choose to work in Hardin. Sure. It's probably only incompetent folks who maybe went to the worst medical school and can't get a job anywhere else. <laughs> Got their online degree And I would, couldn't have been school. more incorrect. I mean... Ultimately, what I found was the exact opposite, which was that these were some of the best doctors I'd ever been around, not only in their training, but in their compassion and their, you know, and, and in their own personal kind of mission for what they wanted to do. And so when I arrived in, in Hardin, I, I saw people working here that were like the doctors that I wanted to become. And, and they had been well-trained and they were not being punished by being here. They were here because they wanted to be. And that's that's everything that I wanted backing me to make that kind of decision. But at the same time, I had these larger systems, you know, and, 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 and I was in a medical school that, you know, 230 people per class. It's ranked as the number one primary care mm. medical school in the country, yet it still only produces one-third of its graduating class go into primary go into care. primary care interesting two-thirds are specialists and that's the best that our country has and so there was plenty of pressure to not to do something like this it was why would you want to go and work in a place like that there's no you know what kind of resources do you have socially what kind of resources do you have professionally 
what's it like going to the grocery store when you just took care of like several people you know you're going to run into you know and or you go to church and someone comes up and says hey can you look at this <laughs> right yeah. and people just were turned off by that idea yeah. and so i realized there weren't a lot of people wanting to come and do this either and basically all that did is wanted me to make sure i had all the skills that i wanted to so i could be successful when i came back and that included surrounding myself with smart people inspiring people like the ones i just well dr mark dr Qua, ashley kwanbeck mm. and, and kirsten kirsten morset were really the well no I'll, i'm gonna give another shout out to gary dr gary ostahowski he was practicing here as well okay. and he was doing some cool procedural stuff and colonoscopies it's primary care prevention one of the best primary care and preventative procedures you can do um <laughs> and then eventually met Dr. Upchurch and I, and I eventually read a book about Dr. Whiting and all these legends that have been sure. practicing here and innovating here and creating, you know, for as many challenges there are working in a place that has low resources and high healthcare disparities, high levels of illness, it does kind of breed some creativity so that you can keep up with those types of things. And that was another thing I noticed is that when you work in a small town, with an intimate group of people, if you want to make change, you actually can. Yeah. Because you can go to those people and you can work collaboratively without dealing with level after level after level of bureaucracy and, 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 and guidelines and laws and sure. rules and everything. So yeah. the opportunity for making a positive change also seemed good. That combined with my personal interests, my geographical interests, my it almost made Harden be a perfect place, really. Awesome. So then there let's just let's just talk real quick about um uh, the community health center model and how that sort of appealed to you. Can you um explain a little bit about that? I can explain a lot about it, but keep me on track okay, with time. I will. Um the nice thing about you know, these medical rotations that I was doing is often I'd find myself in different types of healthcare delivery systems. Sometimes it was a private clinic system. Sometimes it was a private hospital system. Sometimes it was a county hospital system. Sometimes it's a, com a federally funded healthcare center like, like One Health. Um, I didn't know the difference between really any of this when I was starting. And so having conversations with Dr. Mark and Dr. Kwanbeck about, you know, their work experience, those kind of start to open your eyes and, and, and to the how, how it's done differently in those two different areas. Sure. Um, one of the differences I started to notice was it seemed like the importance of making money in the private sector while I know it's important all around and, um, you know, for better or for worse, to get things done in this country, you really have to make money. Yep. It's a, it's a, it's a, for most part, maybe with the exception of healthcare, has been a highly effective capitalist economy that drives competition and, uh, and innovation and Correct. all of the, really the wonderful things that we have. Um, but unfortunately, when it comes to taking care of sick people, making money and making people healthy aren't necessarily compatible. And I was seeing some conflict there um, where the, where those roads were intersecting and, 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 and traffic was piling up at that intersection and it wasn't becoming a something that was seemed like people was enjoying working in were enjoying working in. So at the same time I was getting some experiences like that, I was getting some experiences at the federal federally qualified health center 
And again, like like I mentioned before, you still need to make money taking care, you know, taking care of folks in that type of system. But with their financial backing from the federal government, it just didn't seem like as much of a priority. And then the priority could be placed on actually spending time talking to patients, you know, understanding them, trying to get to the bottom of, of their ailments rather than the cycle of diagnose, treat, sure. street. And diagnose, that really satisfied street, street. the social piece that you had oh. have been talking about the 100%. whole podcast, right? Is relationship really and getting to know people and that small, tight-knit community and those shared values that you grew up with and loved and enjoyed. Am I on the right track? You're, you couldn't be more on the right okay. track. Um, the more time I can spend talking to people, the happier I'll, I'll, I'll really be. And especially if these are people who are motivated to change, make changes in their health and they you know, want to listen to what I have to say, which largely in this community has been the case. Awesome. Um, but there's also plenty of challenges where that, and, you know, in instances where that, where that isn't the case. So having the kind of that l- had a little bit less pressure to rifle, you know, shuttle through people. Part of that was One Health was just starting at the time too. So it was a little lighter. You could spend a little more time, you know, quizzing the providers you were working with rather than, you know, seeing patient after patient after patient kind of getting consumed by that. And one of the things that you can do then is you can talk, ask questions like how is a community center different than a private entity? And the other thing about a community health center is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to have local people on your board. Yeah, 51%. And so basically you have your patients helping determine the model of healthcare rather than wealthy business people who are interested in making, making money determine how you practice the healthcare and outcomes were more important than uh, fee for services. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, That just creates an incentive system where if you have a board that says, Hey, we have to take care of people. Mm-hmm. That has to be something that's part of our workday rather than just seeing folks. And and I'm not saying that, <laughs> that these other companies don't take care of people. Of course, of course. Um, it's just harder to do as a provider when you get overwhelmed. And so having that opportunity, having that kind of mission behind the company that you work with, it just seemed like that was going to set me up for success. And it seemed like it was more compatible, like you mentioned, with my values, with my interest. And that was the right choice. And and actually, <laughs> and actually, you know, my experience here working with the doctors here also gave me an opportunity to show off my kind of interpersonal skills and my interests so that, you know, maybe I could even put myself in a position where Dr. Mark says, hey, you want to come work for us after sure. you're done with medical school? Sure. I said, yeah. So he did. He approached you. you. Okay. That's super cool. And so that led you, this is this full circle thing that we sort of talking about at the beginning that's led you back into a rural community um, and doing something that you love and something that you're interested in. Um, So that's that's a really cool story. Um, Dr. Hansen, if you could just give me a brief you now work for a community health center. How have things been going? What kind of impact have you been making? Do you feel like you've been meeting that? Um, 
Do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel like you're you're making a difference in the life of your patients in the way that you envisioned when you first thought, "Hey, this could be a thing," right? Because now you're you're really in the in right in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. So talk to me just a little bit about that, and then we'll we'll uh, be done. Perfect. Yep. And and I'm in the middle of it, and I'm and I'm also a couple years past a residency too, and so you kind of get to really. See your situation for what it is in a more unbiased way because your first year out of residency, gosh, after you're working 60 day hours, 68 or 80 hours a week for three years, anything is going to kind of seem like an upgrade. One thing I will answer immediately is yes, every single day I get an opportunity to do what I love, and that's spend time talking to people and teaching them skills. You mentioned Dr. Mark having kind of a teacher's heart. I would say really the same thing for all the doctors here, including myself. Mm. Um, when you can teach someone a skill so that they can take care of themselves and they don't have to see you anymore, they're so thankful. It usually treats their problem more effectively than any medication that they were taking. People around here want to be independent and self-sufficient. That's why they live out in these rural areas. That's why they per, you know, choose the professions that they want to do. They don't want to have to be dependent on a medication. And so every day I get an opportunity to talk to someone about this. And that is the best part of my job. And sometimes it's even successful and people are able to do what I recommend maybe in their life. And they feel better and they're, and they're happier. And I do that with medication too. Sure, sure. I'll prescribe medications that make people feel better, especially for the time being. And maybe it's a medication that I can prescribe so that someone can just get to a better place in their life so they can make some of those lifestyle changes. Sure. Now they don't even need to be on the medication. They just used it as a bridge to get from point A to point B. So those things are all wonderful parts of my job. And this is the best job I've ever had. I've had some bad jobs in the past, though. <laughs> Me too, man. Um <laughs> What I will say, though, is that I was immediately thrusted into some significant challenges as I graduated residency, which was essentially COVID. And with COVID in a small town, ultimately, it has so many challenges. And one of them is, who do I trust? Because people here were so, they're, they're so used to being independent. I'm so used to being independent. My family's that way ranching people from southeastern Montana, the best people, I think. And not only do they not want to have to be dependent on anything, but they also don't really want to be told what to do. Sure. And in a time like what we were going through, there was kind of a lot of telling people what to do. And we had to. And I was telling people what to do because I was even protecting myself because you want people to go get their shots if the hospital's full so that you aren't overwhelmed in the hospital as well. And that's just more education. But the thing is, it might not have been as educational as it should have been. It might have been a little bit more authoritative than it should have been. And sometimes, especially places like this, it it works in people just getting pushed away and and it it increases some mistrust. And now we're kind of out of COVID. People had delayed their health care. And you're starting to see it again now where clinics are getting busier chronic treatment chronic disease that was not being treated for the last couple of years is now even advanced more and now you're seeing that more often so there's plenty of challenges but i think it's all the more reason to keep chipping away at all of them especially with things like 
education and personal empowerment. And again, the fact that it's a community health center with patients on the board, they advocate for that type of thing cool. in the clinic that they're getting taken care of. The federal government, I think, understands that prevention truly is, you know, ounce prevention truly is worth more than, a, you know, a, a pound of cure. But there's also other little state governments and, 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 and other fa- factions, you know, really 50 percent within the federal government who don't necessarily believe sure. in things like that. So it's, nothing's 100 um, percent. And there are, for every you know rewarding thing that I do, there are certainly challenges, especially in a rural area. Um, as it's always going to be, as it's always going to be with really just about every job. But again, like I was talking about before, you can always strive to make those improvements. And that's kind of why I'm here. I want to be here to, to have that challenge. I want to be here to enjoy myself while I'm having that challenge. I want to hopefully occasionally get some rewarding feedback from people who tell me that I actually helped them rather than hurt them. Which can happen in medicine as well. Yep, um, and surround myself with some brilliant people. Awesome, man! Hey, dude, what a cool story! I I thank you again for coming and sitting down with me and telling me this story and uh, just really opening it up. I mean, it's a it's a obviously a deeply personal thing for you, and I really my hope is that this story will resonate with our listeners in a number of different ways. One. Uh, being uh, that it would empower them to really uh, and and encourage them to really believe that they have the ability to go out and do what they want to do. I believe that. Um, So uh, we'll leave you listeners with that. Hope you enjoyed the story and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Later. Adam, thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this time with Dr. Hansen, and more than anything, I hope you are encouraged to chase your dreams. I'm thankful that we live in a country where this is possible, where we can have an interest in something that can grow into a passion, that can grow into a profession. I'm interested in your thoughts on Oren's story. You can contact me at adam.renshaw at 1chc.org. That's A-D-A-M dot R-E-N-S-H-A-W at O-N-E-C-H-C dot O-R-G with comments and encouragement for Dr. Hansen. Thanks for listening.